Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Welcome to Tell Me a Story I Don't Know, a refreshing and captivating interview with top sports personalities and their connections to Chicago. They reveal some entertaining, memorable, and emotional stories, some you've never heard before. I'm George Hoffman, and please make sure you subscribe to Tell Me a Story I Don't Know on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcast. Tell Me a Story I Don't Know is presented by Dynamic Manufacturing. Since 1955, Dynamic Manufacturing has a relentless commitment to quality and customer service when it comes to your automotive needs. They've been named General Motors Supplier of the Year 22 times. And whether it's remanufacturing, machining, electrification, motorsports, and much more, there's nothing Dynamic Manufacturing can't do. Find them on the web at dynamicmanufacturinginc.com. And by Raul Jewelers, who offer the finest in rings, bracelets, earrings, necklaces, and much more since 1982. They specialize in custom design, so if you're looking for that right gift, especially during the holidays, head to Raul Jewelers on Barrington Road in Hoffman Estates. And they're on the web at rawljewelers.com. Tell Me a Story I Don't Know is also sponsored by the Polina Market, purveyors of the finest meats. Look for them at polinamarket.com and by Vienna Beef, makers of Chicago's hot dogs and a landmark institution since 1893. They're located at viennabeef.com. This week, we begin a two-part episode with a very popular and sometimes hysterically funny television analyst for the Chicago Bulls, Stacy King. When I came to Chicago, Doug Collins was the coach. And Doug Collins loved me. Doug Collins to this day is a good friend of mine. I, you know, I, I feel bad for Doug because Doug kind of got cheated out of a championship, you know, possibly. You know, I don't know if Doug, Doug would have won six, but I, I believe Doug would have won a couple. You know, I don't know if he would have won as many as Field did, but I, I, I think Doug would have won a couple. He is one of a kind. Just listen to some of his many catchphrases during a game. The most notable might be Sriracha and Gimme the Hot Sauce, which happens to be the title of his entertaining podcast. But Stacey King is a keen observer of the game. And remember, he was a world-class player in college, a member of the Bulls' first three championship teams, and one of the funniest people you will ever want to meet. So, Stacey King, tell me a story I don't know. <laughs> um, wow. I'm a singer that sings in the shower, sings in my car. I sing all over the place. So when people hear me sing the nationwide jingle and they, they get a kick out of that, I, I actually enjoy doing that. I actually like singing. Nationwide is on your side. Oh, golden pipes are back. Um, I think I'm pretty good, you know, so um, I'd be anxious to one day walk into a karaoke bar and no one know who I am and just go in there and just start singing all kinds of songs and, and blowing people away with my golden pipe for real. Did you ever consider a professional career in that? No, I'm not that good. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not that good. But in my in my dreams, if I, you know, that's one thing I wish I could do is be an entertainer, be uh, you know, like a Prince, you know, Michael Jackson, 
um, you know, just a big time singer, you know, like, you know, the groups like U2 and the Rolling Stones be a big rock star, you know, pop star. I think that would be really cool because I like entertaining and I like masses of people. We're taping this in late October and the bowl season has just begun. And I would be remiss, Stacey, if I didn't start by asking you your overview of the myriad moves management has made to upgrade this team. Um, I, I think it's been tremendous moves. I think when you go back to last year when, you know, AK was hired and, you know, Mark was hired and then, you know, JJ Pope was hired. I think the thing that they came in, they had a vision, you know, they had a vision of where they wanted to go with this team and this franchise. Um, they knew the history of this franchise. You know, it wasn't too long ago that this was, you know, one of the top franchises in the world uh, and in the NBA. You know, those banners that hang up in the United Center are not Christmas decorations. So uh, they, haven't, they weren't that far removed. Um, so for some great times. And I think they understood the history. I think they understood that, you know, Chicago is a big market, big city. And, you know, they, they had a vision of, of turning this thing around and, um, you know, give the rise doors credit, Jerry and Michael, you know, basically giving them carte blanche and saying, Hey, do whatever you have to do to turn this around. And uh, it started last year. You know, they came in, they evaluated all the talent that was left here from the previous, uh, you know, front office with, um, you know, John Paxson and Gar Foreman. Uh, they gave everybody an opportunity. They realized that, Hey, in order for them to get better, they're going to have to make some bold moves. Um, the bold move that they made was bringing in Nikola Vucevic from Orlando, an all-star caliber center. Back, a break for the Bulls. Six-point game. Vucevic, huge three. And that was the starting piece of getting the ball moving. And they tried to be bold during the trade deadline. They tried to get Lonzo Ball from New Orleans in the, in the trade deadline. Uh, wasn't able to pull that off. But it didn't stop him, didn't deter him. That was, he was number one on their priority list. Uh, they recognized we needed a point guard. Rotate the ball. Oh, give me the hot sauce. This guy's Big got ball. it stuck on automatic, and the Bulls are back up by eight. They recognized the team needed to be more athletic, and uh, they, re they recognized that they needed to be better. And um, they went out and got all the pieces uh, that you could possibly imagine in such a short time. And I think it caught a lot of people off guard because Chicago hasn't been that active in the free agent market in a long time, uh, especially with the quality of free agents that they were able to acquire. Uh, that's not been seen here in a long time. And uh, it was bold moves. And, um, you know, they, this is an organization now that is, you know, they understand what this is all about. You know, they understand that it's about winning, winning championships, not just making it to the playoffs or, or getting to the first round and being satisfied. Uh, their goal is to win championships and the whole organization's goal is to win championships. And they have the players now that have that mentality that want to win a championship. And it's only going to continue to grow. This is the first step this year, I believe, uh, to start to start our climb back up to NBA royalty, you know, because the Bulls, we used to we used to be on top of the mountaintop. You know, we were we were the king of the hill. Everybody was looking up at us. And, you know, every team goes through it, George, where you have some good years, you have some bad years, you lose guys to free agency, and that can turn your franchise uh, going from the penthouse to the outhouse. And we saw that. And not to take anything away from John Paxson and Gar, uh, you know, people tend to forget, you know, the things he did after Jerry Krause uh, left. And, you know, he completely reinvented this organization, got it tough, 
kind of built it in his in his the way he thinks mental toughness physical toughness um you know ben gordon you know kirk heinrich luol dane joe keem noah you know jimmy butler you know a couple of those guys are gonna be hall of famers eric uh, rose. rose you know i mean you can go on and on i mean you know Taz gibson getting him in the second round uh i mean he was hitting home run after home run after home run and at some point you know you know this george you've been around this game a long time you know, you're not always going to hit a home run. Sometimes you're going to strike out. You know, sometimes you're going to have to go grab some pine and wait till you get your next at bat. And that happened a little bit with, with Pax and Gar, and they weren't hitting the home runs. Um, but, you know, I think a lot of people judge them just based off the last few years, you know, the hiring of Fred Hoiberg and, you know, Jim Boylan taking over. I think they, you know, they pretty much judged them off that. You saw the fire guard packs which I thought was ridiculous because, you know, it's like, what have you done for me lately? You, you tend to forget. And you think about this, George, go all the way back to Jay Williams. When Jay Williams was supposed to be the cornerstone of this franchise, he ends up getting almost paralyzed in a motorcycle accident. And that would have, that would have folded most teams. You know, you draft that high and then your high draft pick career is pretty much over. And Paxson had to scramble the next year. He drafts Kirk Heinrich. No, is he Michael and Scotty? No, but Kirk Heinrich's name is in in the record books here in Chicago. He has a lot of records, and then you you get Ben Gordon, and you get Luol Deng, and then you start hitting these 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 really good picks. And you know you get to the you almost get to the finals, like a game away from getting to the finals. You, you hire Tom Thibodeau when Tom Thibodeau couldn't even get a coach. You know Paxson saw that something in Tom Thibodeau that no one else saw, and then all of a sudden offered him a job. Tom Thibodeau was a lifelong assistant coach. No one would give him a job. And Paxson saw that he had the potential to be a great coach. And, you know, you look at how Tom Thibodeau's turned out since then. He's turning into, he's a great coach. And that was a good call by Pax. Listen up, OEMs. First impressions are lasting ones. Dynamic Manufacturing's impressive complex in Hillside, Illinois, includes nearly a million square feet of operating space. I had a chance to view some of it, and I was overwhelmed by the organization, technology, and dedicated workforce. Dynamic Manufacturing provides solutions for engineering, manufacturing, machining, and logistics, and they can re-energize your electric and energy storage systems. They can machine any project, no matter the size. And when it comes to motorsports, they're your trusted partner for chasing podiums with their custom torque converters. Dynamic Manufacturing is your one-stop for all your remanufacturing needs, and they can't wait to engineer a custom solution for getting maximum value from experienced parts. Dynamic Manufacturing, where there's nothing they can't do. The easiest way to hear more great guests on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know is to follow me on social media at George Hoffman. That's O-F-M-A-N, just one F, on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And please subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. We return to part one with Stacey King on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. I think it's safe to say you are a very funny and entertaining analyst. But you're also very astute student to the game. How do you balance, Stacey, both 
of those during a broadcast. In other <laughs> words, the great catchphrases as opposed to just breaking down a play. Well, you know, it's, it's a fine line because, you know, what I've learned over the years, this is year 16 for me, George. And if you would ask me would I've been here this long, I, I probably wouldn't have believed you. Um, you know, um, you know, I, I stepped in, you know, the great Johnny Red Kerr, who, who I owe a lot of gratitude for. Cross court to Paxson. He delivers the long run. Yeah! The Bulls win! Oh! And then, you know, also the Bulls organization, you know, because they took a person that didn't have any experience and, you know, they put me next to a legend. And, and I learned from Johnny for, you know, two years and um, people, they got a chance early, like in 2005 to see a little bit of my personality as an analyst. But if you go back to as a player, George, and you remember, I mean, I was quick witted as a player. I was always the one, you know, cutting up, having a good time, joking, doing the Bill Cartwright voice, uh, you know, just keeping the team loose and people remember that. And so as I go into broadcasting, I remember, you know, someone telling me that, you know, you can't be funny, you can't be animated, you got to be professional, you got to do it this way. And I said, scrap that. Like, why can't you have personality? You know, why can't you be who you are? And I, and I made a promise to myself, you know, George, when I got drafted, the late great Jerry Krause, who doesn't get enough credit um, as being one of the greatest GMs of all time. And I love Jerry. I don't care what anybody says. Jerry was a great GM and it was a great, great man for me. Um, when I was at the University of Oklahoma, I was I, I played with a lot of emotion and passion. And um, one of the things I, 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 you know, I thrived on was just the energy of the crowd. So if I scored a basket, an and one, you knew about it. If it was a big game, I always rose to the challenge. And everyone knew Stacey King on the floor by my antics. And I emulated, you know, Carl Malone and a lot of the guys I've seen in the NBA, how they celebrated after making a basket. And I put it in my game and it kind of took off. And uh, that made me a, that made me the player that I was at the University of Oklahoma. But when I came to Chicago, uh, Jerry Krause pulled me to the side and, and told me, uh, he said, Stacy, you know, when you come here, you can't do that here in the NBA. You got to be professional. You got to act like you've scored before and, and being a 21-year-old kid, listening to your boss, I, I accepted that. You know, I said, okay, I'll, I'll change. I won't do that. And I felt like that really took a big part of who I was as a player. Um, I thought it neutralized me a little bit. I, I didn't get up the same way as I did in college. And I felt it, like, took away some of my powers. And, and I didn't like it because it wasn't who I was. You know, I was businesslike. And I still had my personality and stuff like that. But... As far as the animation, like Dennis Rodman, you see how Dennis Rodman would celebrate. That's how I used to be. That's how I used to be at the University of Oklahoma. I would celebrate, where, I mean, after anything, a block shot, a dunk, whatever, I would celebrate. And when I came here, he kind of took that away from me. And I understood why he did that. You know, the Bulls were at that time, you know, rising to the top. And I understood that, you know, they didn't want any distractions. You know, they didn't want that kind of distraction. So, I accepted that role, but I told myself, George, I would never let anybody take my personality away from me again, because this is who I am. And if you didn't like it, you shouldn't have drafted me. There was, you know, 29 other teams that could have drafted me and, and kept my personality. But I won rings, though. That's the sacrifice. You, you, you're on a winning team. You're on considered the greatest team and, and one of the greatest teams in NBA history. I played with two top 75 players of all time. 
some great, you know, complimentary players, great teammates, a great Hall of Fame coach, uh, Hall of Fame assistant coach, Hall of Fame GM. Uh, you know, I, I, I really experienced a lot and I wouldn't trade that for the world. I wouldn't trade any of that experience for the world. But when I became a broadcaster, uh, I promised myself I would not I would not let my personality get, you know, squelched or or taken away from me. You're going to have to accept who I am. And I give the Reisdorfs and the Bulls organization a lot of credit. They've allowed me to be me. They've allowed me to grow into this, you know, fun catchphrasing, you know, uh, nickname analyst. And I, it's funny because now I see a lot of people doing what I do now. You didn't see that in the beginning. You go back as early as 2007, 2008, you didn't see analysts calling games like I call games. And now you see it all the time. You look at Charlotte, you know, those guys, you know, up there, Dale Curry and uh, Eric, they, they, they're animated. I mean, there's a lot of guys in this league now that have kind of taken that style and tried to add their own personalities to it. So I'm a trendsetter. Yeah. Oh, and there's no question about it. You know, you said you started as, as the third man in the booth with, of course, the legendary Red Kerr and Tom Dorr. Then came Neil Funk, and it almost huh. sounded like opposites attracted. And I wonder whether it was tougher transition for Neil or for you. Um, you know what? Neil, Neil was my friend when I was a player. So it wasn't like I just got introduced with Neil in the booth. So we had a, we had a great friendship even before we got into the booth and, you know, the Johnny, you know, Johnny Ray Kerr taught me a lot in the years that I was able to sit next to him. And the one thing, George, it's really tough is like, you don't want to be the guy that's replacing an icon, a legend, you know, you always want to be the next guy or the third guy, because it's so hard for someone to step into those shoes of such an iconic figure. When you think of Chicago sports, I mean, you know, Jack Brickhouse, Harry Carey, mm -hmm. uh, Red Kerr, uh, Ron Santo, uh, Hawk Harrelson. I mean, you're, you're thinking, you know, Pat Foley. I mean, you're thinking of some iconic, you know, fixtures in Chicago sports. And here comes this kid, you know, uh, not a lot of experience on the mic, uh, but, you know, uh, comes in and he's he's with that he's with the old lion you know Johnny's an old lion I'm a young lion and the one thing I can say about Johnny he never was threatened he never like you know shunned me he took me under his wings and me and Johnny had a great relationship as a as player and as a broadcaster I always respected Red I always loved Red Red was one of the funniest guys uh, that you know people really didn't get to know personally you know because he was always so you know he was always professional but behind the scenes he was hilarious. Um, and I learned a lot from him. So my goal, those two years I worked with Johnny was to not step on his toes, you know, because we didn't know, you don't know how long Johnny was going to be, you know, Johnny was getting sick at that time and you don't know when his last game was. So my thinking was, Hey, look, I'm just here as support. So you, you know, you do your thing, John, you do your thing. This is your show. I'm just here to pick up, you know, anything that needs to be picked up. You know, I'm the closer basically. I'm in the bullpen waiting for the call and I didn't ever want to step on Johnny's toes. And I wanted him to call games and, and do the, do the games that he knew how to do. And then when I, I need to fill in, I fill in. And, um, you know, it was, it was awesome. And I think, um, you know, doing those two years and putting me on air with those guys and making it a three man booth, which was, I think we were the, you know, the tallest 
uh, broadcasting uh, team in the NBA at that particular time. Who doesn't love jewelry? Who wouldn't love Rawl Jewelers? Family owned and operated for nearly 40 years, Rawl Jewelers offers the very best in fine jewelry and engagement rings, including mined and lab-grown diamonds. And they utilize the latest technology and offer jewelry repair on the premises. Rawl Jewelers has a glittering array of rings, necklaces, earrings, bracelets, and watches, and offers custom-designed jewelry on the premises. And if you have the most specific questions, Rawl Jewelers has four graduate gemologists on staff. With over 200 years of combined experience and expertise, it's no wonder Rawl Jewelers is one of the leading shops of its kind. This is where my wife and I got our wedding bands many years ago, and it's safe to say, when you walk in as a customer, you're going to leave as a friend. Rawl Jewelers is located at 3001 Barrington Road in Hoffman Estates, right off I-90 West. Rawl Jewelers, when only the very best will do. Now you're working with Adam Amin, and Adam is not exactly a giant. No, but he's got a giant. He's got a, he's got a giant personality. His he does. personality makes him about six eight. Huh? Uh, he's one of the bright young stars of, of broadcasting. Uh, true professional. A break for the Bulls. Six point game. Vucevic, huge three. Kaboom! Kaboom! I never thought we would be able to replace Neil. I honestly. I honestly thought we would never find anybody to replace Neil. Six seconds, five, four, Pippen to Michael, three, two, Michael, firing. He got it! Michael at the horn! He did it again! MJ knocks 103-100, do you believe it? <laughs> because I, I just felt like Neil was the best. I feel Neil's a Hall of Famer. Uh, Neil has one of those iconic voices, George, that you know, Johnny Most, you know, uh, Kirk Gowdy, all these these iconic voices that you go back in history and you just hear the voice and you remember the moment. That's Neil Funk. Neil Funk has that kind of voice and his personality, it really meshed well with me. The one thing that I say about Neil, Neil, Neil helped me be who I am today because um, he allowed me to have the personality. A lot of guys like that, you know, the play-by-play -play guys, they don't let your analysts have as much freedom as what Neil allowed me to have. You know, Neil allowed me to do, like, signature calls. Think about this, George. Any signature call, even if you watch the NBA today, you know, any signature call is basically by the play-by-play -play guy. You know, it's not the analyst. You know, but uh, Neil allowed me to do that. He allowed me to be the guy on those special moments in Bulls history, whether it be Derrick Rose, you know, big shots. Watch this, watch this. Oh my goodness. I mean, he, he, he actually pulled this ball. Watch. I want to go higher. Oh my goodness. You know, Joe Keem, a block and a rebound and a dunk on the other end. I mean, he allowed me to be that guy. And had he not done that, you know, I'm still, I still would have been a good analyst. But you probably wouldn't have the catchphrases. You probably wouldn't have all these, you know, too big, too strong, too fast, too good type of moments. Uh, you know, Windy, Windy City Assassin and, you know, did you not get the memo? All these <laughs> things that, that has come up over the years, you might not have gotten that had Neil been, you know, kind of like, this is my show. You know, you just follow me, kid. 
You he know, wasn't I, like that. And that's what made it so great working with him. I'm curious. Were you a funny as a kid growing up in Lawton, Oklahoma? Yeah, I've always been, I was, I've always been like a prankster. You know, I always, you know, prank people, um, you know, joke, you know, I mean, so this is not a surprise to people who, who know me that know me as a kid growing up in Lawton, Oklahoma. What they see now is what they saw when I was six, seven, eight years old. Speaking of Lawton, you turned out to be a pretty damn good player. I'm not sure how many people actually remember <laughs> that you were the Sporting News College Basketball Player of the Year in 1989, and the year before you helped Oklahoma to the NCAA championship game against Kansas. Not many people get to play in a championship game, but you did. For Oklahoma at center, a 6'10 junior from Lawton, Oklahoma, number 33, Stacey King. You know what? I, I mean, I came a long way, George. Um, you know, it wasn't something that just happened, you know, like I was destined to be a great player. I had to really work. I had to go through trials and tribulations. My first year at University of Oklahoma, I was a highly recruited player. <clears throat> we had one of the top recruiting, um, um, you know, classes in the nation that year. Um, and, you know, I ended up being a sixth man the first semester. I was a sixth man first guy off the bench, and I was really had my first college game right out the box was against uh, Rick Carlisle's team. I think it was Cal Santa Barbara or something. And um, I had 22 points out the box and I thought, Oh man, college is easy. You know, I'm gonna be able to score like this all the time, but you get tougher competition, you know, other things that are out of your control, you know, um, older players. Um, and then I got to partying too much. I got to having so much fun because I was this hot shot freshman and I thought I knew everything. And, and um, <clears throat> I got to party in, and, you know, because when you're in high school, you're, you're actually living in your parents' home. So it's structure. You know, you got your mom waking you up every morning with breakfast, just get ready for school, take a shower, let's go to school. When you get to college, you got nobody doing that. You got a lot of free time. Um, you're required to get up on your own, make your, you know, make your own breakfast. And, you know, as an 18, 18 year old kid, you know, um, I was enjoying college life, man, the social part of it, you know, because I'm a social butterfly. So I was enjoying it. I was, you know, I was chasing girls. I was having a great time. And I ended up partying too much, not going to class, me and another freshman. And um, we ended up, I ended up being academically ineligible. I didn't flunk out, but I was uh, academically ineligible for basketball play. Uh, my roommate, um, he didn't make it. He, um, you know, he, he flunked out. I was lucky. And um, I remember the feeling that, that uh, having that feeling, not being able to play, getting basketball taken away from me, um, you know, disappointing my family because I, you know, I was the first one at that point um, that's going to college. And um, I, I let my mom and dad down. I remember my dad coming up to Norman, Oklahoma, and um, he brings a suitcase and he says, uh, <clears throat> he said, pack your stuff up, boy, you're coming home. And I, I looked at him like days, like looked at him like, what? Coming home, I'm staying here. I'm staying right here in Norman. He's like, no, pack your stuff up. You're coming home. He says, uh, you're not interested in going to school. You're wasting your time. You're wasting our time. And you're embarrassing yourself because you want to party. You want to hang out. You're not up here to go to school. So pack your stuff up and you're going to go home. And I, you know, we argued for a good five minutes. I said, I wasn't, I didn't flunk out. I'm just, I was below the 2.0 uh, requirement to play basketball. I was like 1.9 or something. And I was below that. So I had to sit out the second semester. And so my dad said, you got, you got three choices. 
here's your choices. You can come home and work at Goodyear, the tire plant. Uh, you can go into the military or you can go get a job at McDonald's. Those are your three choices. And they didn't seem like really good choices for me, George. I was like, uh, well, choice number four, I'm going to stay at the University of Oklahoma. I'm going to get my grades right. I'm going to get back on the basketball court and I'm staying up here. And he, he didn't buy into it. And uh, finally he said, he said, all right, I'm gonna give you one more chance. And my dad was like six, five, 250 pounds, hands like the incredible Hulk. I mean, I wish I had my dad's hands. His hands were huge mm. and he was still an intimidating force. And, um, but he didn't intimidate me that particular day because I was really adamant about staying and I'm the type of person, my mentality is to prove people wrong. So when you don't think I'm going to make it, you think I'm going to fail at something, I'm going to show you that I'm going to do what I say I'm going to do when I put my mind to it. And I'm going to just, I'm going to blow you out the water. And that's exactly what I did. I ended up making the Dean's honor roll uh, the next semester because you get this stigma, George, when you're academically ineligible as this dumb jock, you know, everybody thinks athletes are dumb anyway. And I like to say myself, I'm highly intelligent. So um, I had to prove people that I was a very good student, which I was a very good student in high school. And uh, I had to prove people wrong. And that was my motivation to prove people wrong that not only am I not a dumb jock, I'm pretty smart and I'm a pretty good basketball player. But I had to I had to win the trust back of my coach, Billy Tubbs. And I had to win the trust back of my team and get back into good graces my sophomore year, which that took me a, that took me probably half the year because I, I think my coach was still punishing me a little bit because we could have went far in the tournament my freshman year. And I think because I wasn't there, I think that he felt like had I been there, we would went deeper in the playoff in the, in the tournament. And I think that really I kind of let him down on that aspect No one, I mean no one, does hot dogs better than Vienna beef. That's because they've been doing them since 1893. Imagine biting into a delicious all-beef Vienna hot dog, dragged through the garden which includes yellow mustard, onions, relish, tomatoes, sport peppers, pickles, and celery salt, and just try that on one of their Polish sausages. Vienna products are available everywhere, from your supermarkets, restaurants, the ballparks, and zoos, just to mention a few, and you can purchase them online at ViennaBeef.com. And look for their farm acres chili, mini bagel dogs, condiments, and classic deli meats. Take it from a guy who was weaned on, then sold Vienna products. It's the mark of excellence since 1893. Find them at ViennaBeef.com. Ever been to the Polina Market? If not, what are you waiting for? It's been Chicago's premier market for the finest meats and much more since 1949. Their steaks are top of the line, but there's also chicken, fish, and those mouth-watering sausages. And you might spend hours just perusing their frozen food section, all made fresh. And now the expanded Polina Market offers beer, wine, and sandwiches. It's become a one-stop shop, making your in-store experience well worth your time. And you can still order online. I've been shopping here since 1984. Paulina Market is simply the best and conveniently located at 3501 North Lincoln Avenue in Chicago. Check them out on their impressive website at paulinamarket.com. Well, when everything was said and done, you were picked sixth in the first round uh, of the 89 draft by the Bulls, and then you became part of a team on the rise that would eventually win those first three titles while you were there. What was that like? And here's the next question anyone would be asking you. What was it like to play with Michael Jordan? 
<laughs> well, when I, when I when I came here, um, they had the sixth pick. I was supposed to be the number one pick in the draft. I was the the highest rated power forward um, in the draft that year, and so I was supposed to go number one to Sacramento. And what happened was was that Wayman Tisdale was 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 drafted by Indiana, but he got traded to Sacramento. The late great Wayman Tisdale, who was my mentor at Oklahoma. And since he was already in Sacramento, people already thought that we were both the same player. We were both left-handed. We both, you know, shot turnaround jumpers. Um, so basically, you, you know, Sacramento, we'd be drafting, drafting the same identical player that they already have. So they needed, they looked at getting a defensive center, center that could block shots. And that's why they went with Purvis Ellison. But what they don't realize is I blocked more shots than Purvis Ellison my senior year. So I could have fit that bill. And then second, that me and Wayman were two totally different players. One, I was probably three inches taller, four inches taller than Wayman at 6'11". Wayman was like, you know, listed at 6'9", but Wayman was probably about 6'7". Um, you know, we both could score with our back to the basket, so we were identical in that aspect. But I could play facing up, you know, play a little bit more on the floor. I could handle the ball, and I could pass. And, um, you know, they passed on me. And funny story, I was in the – I was in the uh, meeting and, you know, Bill, Bill Russell was the coach at Sacramento at the time. And so I'm in the meeting with a lot of their, you know, front office brass and, and, and Bill Russell. And this is how I knew George, I wasn't coming to Sacramento. So we're in this interview session and <laughs> they're asking me all kinds of questions. You know, if you come here, you know, what, you know, what do you expect? Yada, all the, the typical basketball questions you ask a player. And then at the end of the table, the head of the table, you know, Bill Russell was sitting at the head of the table. And um, I looked down at him and he's like snoring, like he's like sawing logs. <laughs> and, and right then and there, I knew I wasn't coming to Sacramento because here's your head coach. He sleep during the meeting. So obviously you're not his pick because if he was, if he was, he'd be engaged with you because it was a total different feel from when I came to Chicago. When I came to Chicago, Doug Collins was the coach and Doug Collins loved me. Doug Collins to this day is a good friend of mine. I, you know, I, I feel bad for Doug because Doug kind of got cheated out of a championship, you know, possibly, you know, I don't know if Doug, Doug would have won six, but I, I believe Doug would have won a couple, you know, I don't know if he would have won as many as Phil did, but I, I, I think Doug would have won a couple, you know, because he was so close, you know, they lost to the Pistons, you know, um, in game, you know, in six games and then, you know, they, they win 50 games that year, you know, 88, they beat Cleveland, upset Cleveland uh, with Jordan hit that, that crazy, unbelievable shot to win it. You know, Doug was a, was a, was on the rise here. I mean, 50 win season. And think about this, George, you, you got a 50 win season. You got arguably right there. No one knows that Michael was the greatest player at that time. They just knew he was a great talent. Scotty and Horace were here, you know, a few years. Uh, you just made the, the acquisition to get Bill Cartwright. John Paxson's here. So you got a super, really, really good team, a 50-win team, probably at that time, probably a top three or four team in the Eastern Conference. And then all of a sudden you get three first-round picks. Like, you win the lottery. Like, you're a 50-win team, but you get three first-round picks. No team – that's why there, there's a rule now with the protected picks. That's why you have an NBA protected picks because of that draft. Because Chicago at that time, they already had a solid team. They won 50 games with that team they had. All of a sudden, now you're filling out your roster with role players. You're getting superstar college players 
to come into your team as rookies to be role players. That was, that, that was you, there was BJ and someone else. It was Jeff Sanders. Jeff Sanders. Jeff Sanders and myself. So you got three first rounders and you got three, three first round picks in the first round to go with the 50 win teams. I don't think people remember that. And that was unheard of. And the reason why they were able to get me was because they traded Orlando Woolridge to uh, New Jersey Nets. And for a future first round pick, mm -hmm. which turned out to be a lottery pick. My thanks to NBC Sports Chicago, Comcast Sports Chicago, WGN-TV and CBS Sports for those memorable highlights. Join us next week for part two of Stacy King. And thanks as always to TJ Reeves for putting this podcast on the map, Will Hatzel for his deft editing and mixing, and Nicholas Tochi for our graphic designs. And to our generous sponsors, Dynamic Manufacturing, where there's nothing they can't do, and Raul Jewelers, top jewelers in the northwest suburbs on Barrington Road and Hoffman Estates. Come in as a customer, leave as a friend. Also, the Polina Market, purveyors of the finest meats and much more, and by the Vienna Beef Company, home of Chicago's hot dog and an institution since 1893. Tune in next week for another fascinating episode of Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. I'm George Hoffman, and that's all she wrote.